Well, on this episode of the Presbyterian and Reformed Churchman, it is a crossover episode, again, because I have my co-host of Grace to Stand. We, we do that one together, and this discussion is about General Assembly and the PCA at age 50 and, and some of our history with the PCA, what we're excited for, and then what are some things that are going to be happening at General Assembly. So I thought it was appropriate to, to play on Presbyterian and Reformed Churchman, and uh, I wanted to do an overtures podcast, but there are so many good resources about overtures already that uh, I think I'll just put the links to those in the show notes. Uh, Presbycast, Brad had a group of, of men that you just respect and know, and they discuss the overtures. There's great articles. There's a great resource on Presbyterian or PCAPolity.com. I think it's .com. Yeah, PCAPolity.com. That's Scott Edberg and Jared Nelson put together right on their homepage. Click here for a PCA GA 50 Overtures Info Guide. So I'll just commend that to you, and you can hear this conversation uh, with Darren and myself. Pastor Darren is minister to state here in North Carolina in Raleigh, and he serves with me in Piedmont Triad Presbytery. I guess you could say hi, Darren. Hey, everybody. Good <laughs> to be on the Presbyterian and Reform podca- uh, Churchman podcast. This will probably be my only time to be on there. No, I put, I, we, we played other episodes on the podcast. Yeah. But it is, is it a podcast? I prodded you it's to a, be on the pro- podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. On this episode of Grace to Stand, Darren and I are going to be talking about the PCA because well, Darren, it's exciting. We are headed to General Assembly in just a few short short days, are we not? We are headed to Memphis, Tennessee. Have you ever been to Memphis? I have not. I have not. I've only been to sort of eastern uh, parts of Tennessee around the Georgia, like around the borders, you know. Right. Well, there you are in for a week of very good barbecue. This is Wait a minute. Wait, we're in Lexington, the barbecue no, no, capital. No, 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 no. I know, I know, and this is probably heretical, and people are probably going to start tuning out right well, now. But I have to say, that. Memphis is out of this world. It is good stuff. Yes, I, I'm sure. I've, I've, I've been hearing about that. So yeah, we and and what's what's just great about this year is it is the 50th anniversary of the PCA, um, being that we were founded in 1973, mm-hmm. before both of us were born. It's also the 50th General Assembly, and so typically this would have been the 51st General Assembly. The way that would have worked out, but with COVID in 2020 and us not having a GA, here we are, the 50th General Assembly on the 50th anniversary of the Presbyterian Church in America. And so, Darren, you and I are both pastors, or what we call teaching elders, reverends, in the PCA, and we thought we would kind of share some of our history with the PCA, what we are uh, thank God for, some concerns we may have as we look to the next 50 years. We're going to talk about General Assembly. And, and for congregants, I know you like when I inform you on what's going to happen at General Assembly, what we'll be voting on, what what types of issues are before us. And I, I'm i actually blessed by that, that I have a congregation that really cares about what's going on in the denomination and how we, we as a church and our ruling elders even in, interface with it. And then we'll talk about our hope for the PCA. So Darren, uh, let, let's Let's jump in. How how did you become reformed? How did you see the PCA as a landing spot and and that that's where you wanted to do ministry and be a pastor? Right. Yeah. I I mean I did not grow up reformed. Uh, grew up 
really nothing until uh, about high school and started attending kind of a broadly evangelical church, and, and that was the case through college, but just got acquainted with some uh, some literature, reform literature. Uh, the first the first book that I read that really turned me on to reform theology was J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And, I mean, he had me hook, line, and sinker about five pages into that book. I mean, but he's was, not even reformed. Well, I he, love that. I, by the way, I love J.I. Packer. I mean, I'm reading it now. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, an interesting he's, he's thing, not, isn't it? He's not Presbyterian, but he he had he definitely has some reform sensibilities to him, and it and it and it, what it did is it led me on a trajectory uh, that uh, that led me into other reform readings, such as of course R.C. Sproul and so forth, uh, a, a lot of kind of the more the, the popularized readings. In the providence of God, I had some other uh, friends who were starting to read some of the th- same things uh, almost separately from me. And, they, and we were saying, you know, you ought to read this. And and uh, and I did. And it was just transformative to my soul. And, and so uh, I ended up, at, you know, getting plugged into a PCA church uh, in the years following college. And at the same time since that call into ministry and went to RTS and in Jackson and was kind of in the the uh, the the womb of the PCA in many respects in Jackson Mississippi along with some other places like Birmingham and and uh, th- that's that's really how I got connected to the PCA I call it presbytopia presbytopia ja- ja- Jackson, <laughs> Jackson Mississippi <laughs> yes so yeah that's that was my journey into the PCA yeah wow great well for me I grew up uh, very traditional Catholic, Melkite Catholic, which is a, a Catholicism out of the Middle East. Uh, you might hear a leaf blower outside the window, of course, is, is what's going on. Uh, but but uh, it was interesting. My grandparents were sort of Pentecostal assemblies of God after uh, they, they had converted from Catholicism. And so I had this weird mixture of really traditional, almost orthodox sort of worship to like more assemblies of God in my background. But mm-hmm. when I when I moved back to Florida after I left engineering and, and moved back to Florida and I started wanting to teach and I uh, high school and work with kids and I was really exploring my faith with my wife, I had an uncle who, who turned me on to reform theology and he said, you're down there, we're coming down for this Ligonier conference. And uh, you know, I was in South Florida, Ligonier is three and a half hours away in Orlando. And so I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now, at that point, I'd been listening to guys like MacArthur on the radio and just, you know, his uh, reformed soteriology with Tulip was just mind-blowing. he's not reformed. <laughs> I know. These are gateway. These are gateways yeah, into the right. PCA. Gateway drug. Right. <laughs> Touche. I deserve that. I deserve yeah. that. Right. And, and, and that, is, that is kind of part of my own journey is really getting to understand what Reformed theology is, what it means to be Reformed. Like believing in TULIP and the doctrines of grace, Calvinism uh, isn't the same as... as Presbyterianism and Reformed Presbyterianism is more than that, you know. But just hearing what I heard at Ligonier and Sinclair Ferguson was there and, of course, Sproul and just some of these... some of these amazing, amazing... And they... The way they handled the Word of God, Darren, it was something that I just 
wasn't used to hearing, you know, right. and exactly. while it wasn't quote unquote emotional, it was very soul feeding, you know, and so they didn't rely on emotion. And at the same time, I mean, every, anybody who's ever seen Sproul teach knows he was very animated, you know, so we're not talking about some kind of dry, but just the the rich theology of the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace, it just was food for my soul. And so we looked for uh, a PCA church and there was one in our neighborhood and, and you know, that was uh, over 15 years ago now, probably. So you, you've definitely been been in the PCA much longer, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been great. It's been great. So I've been a ruling elder and a teaching elder. I'm teaching elder now, but for 13 or 14 years, thir maybe 13 years. Um, so I've been in a, a, an officer in the church here. Yeah. Well, now there are other great reformed denominations doing outstanding work. Um, we're, grateful we work alongside of them um, we think of denominations such as the orthodox presbyterian church the uh, associate reformed presbyterian church uh, the united reformed i mean there's a whole myriad of them uh, and they're they're uh, very like-minded with the pca in many ways but why the PCA? Why did why do you uh, why why were you? I mean, you explained how you were drawn to it, but why why stay in it? What what excites you about being a part of the PCA? It makes you want to continue to uh, to minister and work in this denomination. Wow, that's a great question. Yes, all those denominations. We have friends in in, in all of them, and for listeners. That, that's uh, those are called Napark churches. So Napark is National. Uh, Darren, come on, help me out. Association uh, of Presbyterian Reformed Churches. Yeah, like I think that. that's what that is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is. Saint, it's actually it's actually called the North American Presbyterian yes. and Reformed Council. There you go. Thank you. you. We're and both having a having a yeah senior moment. Well, the only reason I questioned mm -hmm. it is because I've done this wrong before. This is a right. deja vu moment that yeah. I had with some somebody else at some point, and I was like, I it's too easy to be the National Association. So right. there you go, right. North American. But what that is is an, it's a it's a voluntary association of these denominations that are so like minded that subscribe to the Westminster standards. So we have our same our same core document as the ARP, the OPC, and a lot of these denominations. There is an affiliation there, although we we govern independently. And so why the PCA? Man, I, I, that's a good question because it's not like I knew the difference when I came in. You know, it was there happened to be a PCA church right there. My uncle had told me, my uncle was in Staten Island. He's the one who turned me on to Ligonier. And he said, well, you're down there with great churches. And I think they're PCA. He wasn't even in the PCA. Uh, but, he, you know, um, D. James Kennedy was, uh, I think he was still alive at that point. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and that that's just up the road from us, you know, 20 minutes away on the, sure. on the highway. So, uh, Coral Ridge is. Yeah. But it's just where I found a home. But I, I will say the size is helpful so we we are the the largest napark denomination and that's not a reason like the size of a local church isn't a reason to go there and the size of a denomination isn't a reason to go there but we do have the ability to do a lot of things we have great agencies with mission to north america 
Mission to the World and RUF. And because of our size, we have a lot of uh, connections, but we also have a lot of ways to do ministry and, and a lot of help from the denomination itself. I mean, from the administrative committee, a lot of support. And so it is, it's good. And yet we're still, we're small in America. What are we, 400,000? Was that about what we are? Well, yes, and I think that the PCA outpunches its weight. I mean, in terms of its membership, um, it's four hundred, yeah, a little under four hundred thousand members. But when you consider the influence that the PCA has, the influential ministers that it has, um, it, not just within the United States, but really around the world, uh, the the PCA very much outpunches its weight mm -hmm. in in terms of its influence but given its size i mean i'm i'm like you i mean when i i came into the pca as, as a church member so and and i was in california i mean there there's you know that's amazing we were we a were hundred we were yeah i mean it, it was not like like miami where you do have you know a little bit more of a of a selection of pca churches i mean i went to the only pca church within 150 miles in any direction. And I mean, it was like 50 people. So it was very, that was my, my first introduction into the PCA. And, and when I came into it, I mean, I knew nothing about the other denominations that I've, right. I've come to, to know. So I, I mean, that it was, it was sort of just providence and circumstantial uh, situation that I, that I came into it. But I, I like you and, and have um, been really blessed by being in the PCA. I mean, I think that, you know, I was able to come into it being so far away from Presbytopia uh, because of of the size. I mean, the, the PCA is the is the largest, uh, you know, conservative anyway, reformed denomination in the Western Hemisphere. That's least. right. And so, or in the English-speaking world, I believe it is. So, that's uh, given. Given that, I mean, it just was able to expand into other parts of the country where some other denominations, which are which are fabulous denominations, just have, have not done so quite as much. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why. Well, there. Yeah. Let me uh, let me add to that. So, you know, the the motto of the PCA is faithful to the scriptures, true to the reformed faith, obedient to the great commission of Jesus Christ. And it's that that last one, you know, I mean, we, we want to stand on the scriptures and be true to the reformed faith. Absolutely. We love those. But I think what you just said, how the PCA has been able to spread from just a couple hundred people at that first general assembly or commissioners, if, if, I, if I have the numbers right in my head, to now we're going to have 2,400, you right. know, that's 10 times the size voting members at this general assembly than from the 150 years ago it's because of that obedient to the great commission of jesus christ and so the pca i think we plant churches uh some of the some of the largest sort of church planting support systems are in the pca and that is huge because that's why we're here <laughs> right right and and when you think about and, and i'm glad you mentioned planting churches because planting churches is in many respects, it was like planting the denomination. I mean, the denomination was planted as a as a brand new denomination out of a, of a denomination that was going increasingly apostate. And now has gone almost. I mean, I safe to say, full fully apostate. Yes. And uh, so uh, it was it was planted, but in in church planting 
uh, well, just in the life of the church, you know, you think of the life stages. There's the plant stage where you're starting, and then there's uh, there's either the renewal stage or the death stage. <laughs> so you're you're always in a you're either you're either planting the church or you're in a stage of renewal, which means that you're constantly having to go back to the the scriptures you're you're having to you're having to address issues of sin and and nonconformity to to uh God and his word and uh it, and uh, corruptions within the church that are either uh somewhat innocuous or that just happen uh, through by virtue of human weakness or or expansion um, in size or uh, by virtue of, of real wickedness and so uh, you know the PCA is in the renewal stage and that's not that that's that's not a uh, that's not a uh, a slide on the PCA. I mean, we're we're in that. That's where that's where we are, and th we're either there or we're in the death stage. And I don't think that the PCA is in the death stage. No, we're we're doing well. You know, but, but yeah. we always have to be on guard uh, for for that because when a denomination or when a church starts to assume the gospel, starts to uh, to neglect the primary things, the essential things in the Christian life. Uh, in the next generation, they they become peripheral, and then the generation after that, they become completely lost. And so we always have to be anchored in that unofficial PCA motto, which is faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. Because the moment we stop being aggressive about missions and church planting, the moment we stop being uh, anchored in the scriptures and in that confession of faith that we have vowed to affirm is the moment that, I mean, it's like the shopping cart that you get at the grocery store that always, you know, wants to make that, that, turn to the right because there's something wrong with the wheel if you don't fix that wheel you're just going to keep going and going and going and it's and that's the right. way that that the denomination will go i don't think that we're there i think that that we're uh, in the the renewal stage but we always have to be on guard well right and that's something harry reader had spoken of quite a bit the last few years was typically and i don't he must be talking about in modern times mod uh in the last couple hundred years organizationally that 50 to 80 year mark is very crucial in in seeing where uh, where an organization is going to go, and uh, and and what you just said is just really supposed to be the pattern of the Christian life, right? Always reforming, <laughs> yeah. and so we are always trying to reform ourselves to the scriptures, and the denomination is is no different. And, and really, because the challenges that we face today, it's like it's a different world from 50 years ago. You know, uh, from 1973. I mean, there's no internet back then. You know, so they could never imagine what what we're dealing with today. And even even that is kind of amazing to me. When you think of the challenges that we're dealing with today, in a, I mean, this is not even a post-Christian country anymore. It's a hostile to Christian place now. Mm -hmm. I mean, men can marry men. You know, I mean, that was just inconceivable back then not that there wasn't same-sex attraction homosexuality whatever obviously the sexual revolution had happened but yeah. the idea that the whole country would leave the moorings and yet 
you know, you just can't improve upon, it seems, the Westminster standards. Like, it, it, it's it's funny, like, when all these same-sex attraction, revoice, side B, all that stuff had come out and people were trying to figure stuff out, you know, it was, it was faithful ministers that were saying, what, what are you trying to reinvent the wheel? Look at the standards. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. it, it, it protects us from Wesleyanism, but it also protects us from these false identities, you know? And so, and, and then you see the, the AIC report is like, it's just full of the standards. And our book of church order, which really, I think, if I, if I understand history right, really is, it, it came from the book of church order before that, like before the PCA was even founded and was, you know, updated and continues to be updated every year. But it is serving us very well. And yeah, it needs to be updated because we deal with new things, but it is still, it is still very uh, organized and very helpful and, and very, um, and very biblical in how we, we attempt to do things. So it's, it's a great denomination to uh, to look to the next 50 years, you know. Right. So. I mean, the Presbyterianism and the PCA is, I mean, you can, you can think of it in terms of the three C's. It's connectional, meaning that we're, we're in a formal sense connected to, uh, to one another through the General Assembly and or, uh, through the denomination and through our presbyteries. It's, uh, it's constitutional. So that Book of Church Order orders our um, our, how we conduct ourselves in relationship to one another and within the local church in accordance with the scriptures. And then we're also confessional, that, that, we, uh, that the, the, the summary of what we believe scripture teaches is uh, spelled out in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is not an infallible and inerrant document, but it is the, the, it's the best, it's the best there is. And it is hard to improve upon that. And so that's, that's really who the PCA, you know, needs to, to be and, and part of what the PCA is, and, and we need to lean into that. Um, and like you said, George, I mean, there are, it is a different world than when the PCA came into existence 50 years ago. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there are people with um, no Christian categories whatsoever. I mean, nothing. They don't. They they have. And and that that would have been the exception to the rule. I think is, but particularly in 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 Southern Presbyterianism in the South, where the PCA was really birthed. Um, but not only that, our country has changed very much demographically. Uh, it's it's a it's a nation not not just you know ideologically when you're, you're talking about that so it's a it's a different it's a different world in that respect too and so we need to think about how we can faithfully um, reach all the different um, demographics within our nation as well as the ideological change without capitulating to a lot of the spirit of the age kind of stuff, how we faithfully reach a, an increasingly urban, an increasingly um, a culture that has no Christian moorings whatsoever and, 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 a, and a demographic that's very different. Right. It's funny, when I, when I was growing up, people didn't know if, I mean, a lot of people thought I was Hispanic because in, in South Florida, that's what you, you know, others thought I was Italian. Um, Middle Eastern people knew I was Middle Eastern. I guess it's, I have a, I have a certain profile if I turn a certain way. So, um, but you know, I mean, that's a tapestry. So really America is, 
it's really a beautiful thing to have this many different people groups in one place. And, and we're supposed to go out to the world and make disciples of all nations. And God has brought the nations here to us. But that, that brings challenges too, because we gotta, everybody's got to get along and we got to respect one another. And I think, I think this conversation where you've taken us kind of takes us to some, you know, I don't know if concerns is the right way to say it or watch outs or some, some things we need to be on guard about as we look to the next 50 years, because, you know, the denomination is, is increasingly divided, I think. Um, you know, we're all still standing on the Word of God, and so I, I don't want to sound um, alarmist about that, but it seems like we go into General Assembly, sadly, as two camps. And I really think it's centered around, you know, philosophy of ministry, how to do that third component of our, of our motto, obedient to the Great Commission. You know, you and I put ourselves in what we call the confessional camp, and we rely on the ordinary means of grace for God to do what God does to convert people. And we need to be outreaching and outlive and, and, and be in the community. And but we need to be clear about what people need and what the solution is and what you know what the problem is. But that has to be done in and through love. And I think what concerns us sometimes, or I can't, I'll just speak for me, I can't speak for you, but it's just, it, it seems like truth and love are pitted against each other. And, you know, there is a desire to, in, in this shifting world that we're living in, particularly in cities, but look, I'm in a rural context and we see the shift here too, but you could still walk in a, a store, even a chain store, a big box chain store and hear Christian music, you know, uh, and you know, it doesn't really exist in the, in the cities. And so when, when ministries are trying to do ministry in the cities, it, it is harder. And so we just need to be faithful in how we present the good news to these people, to, to, to the surrounding world. And I think, I think there's been compromises there and that, that concerns me. So that's, that's one area I think we need to do better at right i i think that in ages past and it's not it, it it's not as if that is not a uh, an issue it's not an issue in our own time but in in ages past really the issue of the day was the inerrancy of scripture i mean is is, is scripture is scripture true um and i think a, a lot of what we're dealing with now is is scripture sufficient? Um, you know, we're dealing with the sufficiency of scripture for uh, our message and our and our ministry and and our mission. It, you're, it, you're you're pulling out your your inner Harry Reader. Yeah, I mean, which is exactly. And I was just I was just about to go there. That's I I, I think that he was really spot on when he was addressing that. And um, and he's not the only one that's 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 done so and i and i i see it in our own world i mean with if we if we take our cues from social science or if we take our cues from the winds of of our of our cultural sensibilities um then i, I don't know how that doesn't affect it i don't know how that doesn't affect our message it just it just will. I mean, that's going to become our normative standard. 
um, it's going to affect the way in which we do mission. I think that that there are many people in the PCA who are very well intended. I mean, I think people want to see our nation, our communities, our cities, our towns reached with the gospel. They see all the things that we've already talked about thus far in this in this episode. Um, but but what they're 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 failing to do is really trust the sufficiency of Scripture to guide their worship, their ministry, the the mission that they have out to their their communities, and so um, and and ultimately the the message that they that they preach. Um, right. So we so we saw we we just saw we've seen a lot of this I think over the last few years with some of the issues of sexuality, such some of the issues of the 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 racial things. I think about those things, and then you mentioned you know the confessional aspect and how we would put ourselves in the confessional camp. I think everybody I think everybody in the PCA would say that they're confessional, but when the rubber meets the road, are they really confessional? You know, when you start. O- opening up the possibility of of theistic evolution, you start opening up the possibility of of um, of a, a number of different uh, aberrations and, and deviations from the the confession. I mean, I've, I've seen guys come before Presbytery taking five five differences with the confession. I saw one guy come and take eight. I mean, at that point, you have to under, and then they're and they're then they're ordained, and so you think that they're confessional. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you take that many exceptions to our confession, you're really not. I mean, you're just not, and and there's probably right. some other place to be. So I think that those those issues need to be. Yeah, they consider that concerns me. Yeah, and I I think I I relate that confessional conversation to you know, how we view theology. I've used this example before. I don't know if on if on a podcast that somebody heard already, but I, I was on a presbytery committee testing men and, and we asked him to explain covenant theology and he rattled off the covenants, you know, uh, covenant of works, covenant of grace, and then as part of the covenant of grace, you know, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, they go through the covenants. Those are the nuts and bolts. That is not covenant theology. Covenant theology is how that works together. It's it's how is this a coherent system? And as a part of that system, there are individual pieces, you know. And I think people treat the confession that way. They treat the confession as a list of things I need to believe as if they're not all interrelated. And so, you know, and, and so it's like, well, Look, I believe 99.5% of the confession. I'm not saying me. I'm just saying somebody says that. Well, yeah, and you took five or six or eight exceptions, and these exceptions relate to all these other doctrines. Somebody uh, had this tweet. I think it was Stephen Spinnenweber. It's like, what's your, like, question from a search committee. What's your philosophy of ministry? And he, and he says, the Westminster Standards. And then somebody says, and I don't remember who, but somebody says, are you saying the Westminster Standards is a philosophy of ministry? Absolutely, it's a philosophy of ministry. It can, it, that The understanding of a Christological, biblical, Trinitarian, sovereignty of God understanding of theology is a philosophy of ministry that impacts how you do ministry. Absolutely. It absolutely is. It does. It does. And, and if, you, if you keep pulling out, you know, the the... 
fourth floor and the 16th floor and the 37th floor of a 54 building, then eventually the whole thing's it's it's going to just collapse on top of each other you can't it it doesn't work that way right <laughs> you're right it, it is interconnected so yeah. i think that, that's a that's a good that's but, a good point and those and some your, are our concerns yeah well to, so to, to your point so harry when you said mission message ministry if your your mission will dictate your message so reader does this great thing you have to look up one of his GRN talks on it. And I, I mean, he's done this all over and over. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like if your mission is cultural transformation, you're going to have a culturally accommodated message. You know, if your mission is social justice, you're going to have a social gospel. And so he, he does this and, he, and you say, yeah, so like we got to get the mission right. You know, um, the, the other thing is, like you said, liberalism 100 years ago or more was against the inerrancy of scripture and right now you said it's against the um would you say sufficiency, sufficiency of, scripture. of scripture right i i add to that and and i actually told harry this <laughs> i said if you're writing a book on this mm -hmm. ponder this one i think it's the perspicuity of scripture yeah right. as well and what i mean by that is what we see in again in the pca nobody's denying the miracles or the deity of christ or or the inerrancy of scripture but you we do see a lot of well this isn't clear this isn't clear. It's not roles of women are not clear. Who's ordained is not clear. Uh, our relationship to sin is not clear. These are not clear. Identity is not clear. Nothing's clear anymore. And you know we're a people of the 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 word, the logos, the logic, the reason, the mind of God expressed in clarity. Um, and you, you and I are familiar with you know, a candidate for ordination being given a hard time because he had too strong a view of this, of the perspicuity of scripture on what scripture teaches right. uh, to be clear. And it's just like th th that, that is concerning. That's postmodernism. That is the, the spirit of the age. And we just have to lovingly push against that because we, we don't, you know, worry about the devices of men to accomplish the mission of God. God's word mm -hmm. accomplishes his mission. Right. It, it There's nothing wrong with the word. It's endured now thousands of years and it's going to endure like as if the last 20 years has changed everything. Oh no, we got to figure out what to do with the word of God. I mean, how, how arrogant of us. We, so we contend for the faith once delivered for the saints. Is that's it. So let's get to GA. What uh, This is the right. 50th general assembly 50th anniversary we've said that there's going to be a lot of celebrations i know wednesday night there's a huge concert celebration um, i spoke with palmer dr o palmer robertson he's been invited to be a part of a panel i don't know if that's the uh the all assembly breakout or whatever they call it i forget um session because he's a founder and we're blessed you and i to know him and have him right here in our our press story so what are what are some uh some things that are going to happen at this GA, Darren. Or what are well, some of the things you're looking forward to? Whatever you want. Right. Well, so just just briefly, a GA for for those who are unfamiliar. I mean, our, our quarterly our presbyteries uh, meet uh, to conduct the business of the church, and the GA is an annual gathering of of the churches and ministers of the churches to conduct the business of the denomination. And so, some of the some of the business of the denomination this year. Uh, it, it comes up through overtures uh, mainly, but there are also uh, various committees of the denomination uh, that uh, 
conduct their business. They give reports. There are um, decisions made pertaining to some of their work. But some of the overtures coming up on the uh, about uh, on at the General Assembly this year um, are much of what we've seen in the past several years. I mean, we're dealing with issues of of sexuality, sex, uh, uh, identif- identification uh, of um, you know building a sexual identity that is at odds with scripture and there have been uh, overtures which are proposed amendments to our book of church order uh, that uh, address whether or not a, a, a person uh, coming for ordination for one of the offices of the church elder or deacon can self-identify as someone who is uh, who is gay uh, and lean into that identity and embrace that identity, even though he may not be practicing uh, that, and and even though he may believe that it is sin. But when he publicly pronounces that that's who he is as a fixed identity, and so that there are overtures coming up from from uh, uh, several different presbyteries seeking to address that to. Uh, to eliminate people who are adopting an identity that is at odds with their identity in Christ. And I should say that that is not to say that any of these overtures are saying that that you must deny that you have any sort of struggle uh, or that you must have claimed to have uh, gained perfect victory over all of your uh, inclinations towards evil, but it is saying that when you self-identify and when you... Uh, publicly uh, um, bring that out into the open and you declare that as part of who you are as a fixed part of yourself everybody's fixed as the color of your eyes or how tall you are uh, those are those are the kinds of things that we're saying no that is outside of the scope of someone who is qualified to serve in office so there are those kinds of uh, overtures coming up as well yeah yeah there's a number of those they've been dubbed the do overtures Mm -hmm. I think Brad Isbell thinks he, he he came up with that but uh i know scott edberg had been saying that for a while so <laughs> um we'll see if he listens i don't think he listens so but um there's a number of those so for three for three general assemblies we've had overtures to try to address the side b gay christianity issue of ordaining men who uh have an identity of of like like darren said and, and they say well but I don't practice it. And some people wonder what the issue is. And, uh, you know, we want to say, first of all, this is not for congregants. We would work with any congregant and meet them where they are and help them to be sanctified and, and help them to more and more see their identity in Christ. But a pastor and the qualifications of an elder or an officer are a higher standard. The, the, these are things that need to be worked out in people's lives already. And a pastor cannot view a part of their their being so identity oh we don't know what identity means people say you know the people who have used the word identity the most say well you don't know what it means uh we you know but being and and to get philosophical ontology the nature of a person's being there are not when god created humanity he created them male and female he did not create gay men and straight men and gay women and straight women and that, and then men who think they're women and women who think they're men and um th- those are products of the fall they are real experiences and 
we're not looking to shame people that experience those things, but to consider yourself in a category of, of personhood in that category, when you are a new creation in Christ, is just a confusion of what a human being is. Because sexuality does not put you in a certain category of humanity. It, it means you have a certain category of sin. So the, the, there's a number of those. So what's different this year is there's been all kinds of debate about we don't know what you mean about this, but there's also a concern about singling out one sin. Uh, some people think that's unloving to to people that struggle with that sin others say what are we going to do add every other possible iteration of sins now into the book of church order when we have what we need in the confession so these new overtures and there's about four of them they really don't single out a sin some of them might you know meadowview came up with an overture we submitted the overture it almost passed our presbytery it was an it was a tie vote which in our presbytery i mean none of the other ones past from previous years but this one was 17 to 17 and, and so we we said well if we were able to sway some of those people that disagreed with us and we do we did i i know a number of them who've told me this is worth sending up to the general assembly and what it does and what it accomplishes is it doesn't single out asin which means it it's not unduly putting shame on one group of people that, that experience that sin. But it also, just saying you have experienced this or have had they struggle with this doesn't, um, or, or the desire pops up just like any desire is not disqualifying. It's how you view your relationship to the sin. So yeah, Darren, there's those, but there's also a big overture about sending to the government a statement from the PCA and the government being local and state state and national governments uh that it is not okay to do gender reassignment surgeries on minors and to call the government to stop that and we see countries around the world criminalizing that practice and 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 this is and that's going to be hotly debated in, in at general assembly because not that anybody thinks we should be doing gender reassignment surgeries on on minors but there are some that don't believe it's the church's job to speak to the government in this way um, you know, the confession right. Right. does limit it, but I'm of the belief, like, if there's not, if there's any more serious thing to do than to speak on behalf of the least of these, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm and, for and it. We're so. talking about, um, you know, in the, in the, the confession, it talks about, uh, you know, we don't, we believe in this doctrine of the spirituality of the church, that we don't intermeddle in political issues because that's not our calling that's the calling of the state um but there is a there there is a time for for what the confession calls cases extraordinary and this would i mean i i don't i'm not coming down with a position on what it is that we should do with that particular overture but i'm, I'm it does seem as if this would be an extraordinary case. We're not talking about policies involving how we should relate to, uh, you know, to, to Russia in terms of foreign relations or China. We're not we're not stepping outside of the scope of of our calling here when we when we condemn the idea that the the um, the government should be affirming in all of its powers 
the the notion that a a twelve year old can can undergo reass- sexual reassignment surgery to 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 transition between being a boy and a girl or to a girl or a girl to a boy. I mean that that's certainly within the purview of of scripture and a colossal wickedness. I mean if if we if we should uh, condemn things like slavery which we should <laughs> and and failed to do as as uh, within our history as well as we should have then um I mean this certainly seems to fall Well, and last year we did abortion. We we yeah. um and then and then it was you know Roe versus Wade was overturned. So there there you go. <laughs> uh, because, and, and right at the very end of last year's general assembly. I mean on the, the right. day we were all leaving. Yeah. So, so. yeah, that was But, a, but uh, obviously I'm, I'm you know yeah. that's tongue in cheek. But we we sure. we do. I mean the church has a prophetic voice, you know. Okay. Um it didn't the spirituality of the church didn't stop John the Baptist from Telling Herod, you can't marry that woman. I mean, it's like no, no, and um, and, it, and and when you really Paul look, to a, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah, that, that doesn't right. Yeah, so I want to uh, I, I want to say there's a few there's a there's a number of categories of these overtures, and um, so there's like again these ones around sexuality and identity, and and this is the this is the crisis of our age of our generation of you know, what is, it's anthropology. What is the nature of human beings, and what is what is morally okay? You know, uh, there's a whole bunch of overtures around how the PCA does church discipline, or what we consider our cases or or court cases. There's also overtures around the roles in the church. So around titles, I mean, you may be in a church where you're calling people pastor who are not, or a deacon who are not pastors, ministers, and deacons. You know, some some churches have women deacons. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I think there's enough already in our book of church order that would say you're not allowed to do that, but this would formalize sort of how we title people because it is possible you're calling your youth the person serving in your youth ministry, the youth pastor, and if they're not really a pastor, you may be confusing the congregation uh, in that regard. And then there's who can preach and exhort in public assemblies and worship services. And so, you know, I mean, there, there's a famous church in New York. There was a famous group of churches in Miami that have had women pastors preaching during their their services and and they may say well they're exhorting they're not preaching and yet it's the time you know uh or it's also to the organizations or institutions and schools so for instance covenant college is uh in their chapel services they have women delivering the sermon um to in 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 to be fair to them, they say, "Well, they don't call it a sermon. They're they're exhorting or doing a teaching or something else." And, and they so, say it's not a church; it's a, it's a school. And they school. say it's not a church, right? And yet, mm-hmm. how are we training the kids that we send there? So, the, 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 there's the point is there's overtures to formalize some things to, and and I'm sure they're going to be debated uh, pretty heavily in these cases. But congregants also, you'll be interested in this one. There's there's an overture to require background checks when in the hiring of, of ministers. Now at Meadowview, we already do that. So most churches I think probably do that, but they want to make sure presbyteries are ensuring that background checks are done. And so any other thoughts on, on overtures that are going to be coming up? Well, I, I think my thoughts are for our listeners is just pray for the general oh, assembly to, uh, to decide wisely, faithfully, biblically, uh, 
to have an urgency to hold forth the word of truth, uh, to um, to stand upon the scriptures, and to determine how to faithfully apply those to the issues facing the church in our time. And I think that that's what we really need to ask our people to be praying about because the General Assembly, I love going because it's a great time to connect with former seminary classmates and friends and and uh, and see what's going on in the denomination more broadly outside of our own little world. But it's also a, a time of serious work for the church. And so I, I would ask our churches to to pray that it's a it's a time of refreshment for us but also a time where the even probably more importantly that it is a time in which the uh the the faithfulness the confessional nature of our denomination the the missional focus of our denomination continues to be anchored in god's word and uh that we go forth for another 50 years if the Lord should tarry uh, in, in gospel boldness and faithfulness and, uh, and a, a longing for that great commission to go forth. So keep us in prayer this week. That would be my final word. Yeah, Darren, to your point about, about prayer, that is such a good word, a final word. I mean, we pray for the PCA with these transgender overtures and discussions we're going to have discussions on sexuality i mean tennessee you know the nashville tragedy was just you know two months ago we're just discussing things more and more that the world wants to hate us for we remember that you know they hated christ and so they'll hate us and and yet he says love your enemies and so but you do want to pray for for us and i will say some people view these like these kinds of things as like oh doing church business i mean the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts was was the first general assembly of the church. The church got together to discuss an issue and and probably more issues than just there's just the one and they ruled on it and then and and that word went out and that became that word that happened over you know do gentiles need to be circumcised and all that in in the book of Acts went out to ensure that the gospel was being preached and spread and, 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 and legalism wasn't creeping in and we weren't having a false gospel. And that's a lot of the business of the assembly. It's all about our integrity uh, to to the gospel message and the hope of it spreading. And so that is, that is a great word. I am encouraged for the PCA. I know uh, there's a lot of good things happening. A lot of, of good men are, are nominated for committees at this general assembly and have been. And, uh, I just can, I just continue to be encouraged about the denomination, uh, Darren. So I, I look forward to seeing you there. Uh, we're 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 heading up there Sunday because we have meetings almost first thing Monday, and it's it's a ten hour drive for us. The, there's four of us from Meadowview going, and I know we'll see you up there. Yes, we'll be there. Looking forward to it, George. Thanks again, and great to be on the episode again with you. 